going to turn together in God's precious word to the New Testament scriptures, the Acts of the Apostles, and the chapter 5. The book of the Acts and the chapter 5. As we turn to this chapter, we're moving down to the 17th verse uh, to take up our reading. The book of Acts, the chapter 5, and to the verse 17. Then the high priest rose up, and all they that were with him, which is the sect of the Sadducees, and were filled with indignation, and laid their hands on the apostles, and put them in the common prison. But the angel of the Lord by night opened the prison doors, and brought them forth, and said, Go stand and speak in the temple to the people all the words of this life. And when they heard that, they entered into the temple early in the morning and taught. But the high priest came, and they that were with him, and called the council together, and all the senate of the children of Israel, and sent to the prison to have them brought. But when the officers came and found them not in the prison, they returned and told, saying, The prison truly found we shut with all safety, and the keepers standing without before the doors. But when we had opened, we found no man within. Now when the high priest and the captain of the temple and the chief priests heard these things, they doubted of them whereunto this would grow. Then came one and told them, saying, Behold, the men whom ye put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Then went the captain with the officers and brought them without violence, for they feared the people, lest they should have been stoned. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest asked them, saying, Did not we straightly command you that ye should not teach in this name? And behold, ye have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine, and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. Then Peter and the other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom ye slew and hanged on a tree. Him hath God exalted with his right hand to be a prince and a saviour, for to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are his witnesses of these things, and so is also the Holy Ghost, whom God hath given to them that obey him. Amen. We land there at verse 32. May the Lord add his own blessing to this public reading from his own precious and infallible word. Amen. I'd invite you to turn with me once again in the book of the Acts to the chapter 5, the portion of Scripture that we have read together. And down towards the end of that portion, there are four verses today that I would bring before you for our consideration. And that's from verse 29 
through to the verse 32. Let us just refresh our memories and read those four verses again together. Acts chapter 5, the verse 29. Then Peter and the other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom ye slew and hanged on a tree. Him hath God exalted with his right hand to be a prince and a saviour, for to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are his witnesses of these things. And so is also the Holy Ghost, whom God hath given to them that obey him. And in these verses, I want us to see together the example of the early church. The example of the early church. Let's just unite our hearts together in a word of prayer and ask the Lord for help in the ministry of his word. Our gracious God and our loving Father, we do thank thee that all scripture is given by inspiration of God. We thank thee for that charge to preach the word and to be instant in season and out of season. And as we would come, O God, to take up that word today, we do acknowledge that we need the help of thy Spirit. Send us, O God, help out of Zion. Send us, our Father, that strength from the sanctuary. And grant that even today, O God, thou wouldst give that grace in the preaching of thy word. Give grace, O God, to those that would listen and that each one of us, O God, would know what it is to hide that word within our heart that we might not sin against thee. Do hear and answer our prayer and abide with us now. We commit our way to thee in the Saviour's name. Amen. There is an amazing chain of events that unfold before us in the passage that we have read together. And those events really detail for us that battle that rages on to this day. It is the battle between heaven and hell, the powers of darkness and the powers of God, the wiles of the devil and the grace of heaven. And the early church here, having become somewhat established and built up, Satan is seeking to unleash all the powers of darkness against the church. And therefore it was a very difficult day for the early church. It was a dark hour for the cause of Christ. The apostles are taken, they are apprehended, and they are cast into prison. But what we see here is God's overruling hand. And we see the power of the Lord at work for the good of his church and for the good of his people. And the lesson that is really underlined to us in all of this is that no matter how dark and how difficult the day, God is still in control, and God is still all-powerful. And despite the efforts of the adversary, the Lord will build his church. Speaking in the 
Gospel of Luke and in the chapter 21 and the verse 12, the Lord had actually warned his disciples of uh, such days coming. He said in Luke 21 and the verse 12, But before all these, they shall lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and into prisons, being brought before kings and rulers for my name's sake. And so the Lord didn't leave his people in the dark. The Lord gave them that warning and the Lord told them of the days that lay before them. And as he did that in Luke 21, in the verse 13, he gives them that reassuring word. And he says, And it shall turn to you for a testimony. It would go down to the glory of the Lord. And what the devil would plan for evil, the Lord would turn the tables and the Lord would work it for good. And so we see that beginning to unfold in Acts chapter 5, the persecution of God's people in the early church where we took up our Bible reading in Acts 5 and the verse 17, you can see there that that sect of the Sadducees at the end of the verse were filled with indignation. As the church was advancing, we have those who were filled with indignation. And if you can see the margin of your Bible, that word indignation could also be read envy as they saw the advancement of the church and they could witness the building up of the church, they were filled with envy. They were filled with indignation because of the success and the growth of the early church. Verse 18, it led to that physical arrest. They laid their hands on the apostles and put them in the common prison those who were preaching the gospel, those who were seeking the advancement and the furtherance of the gospel, those who were serving the Lord, they're cast into the common prison. They're wanting them to look like common criminals. This effort to silence and to censure the servants of the Lord. That's the pattern that we can see abroad today wanting to criminalize the Christian, not wanting to hear the voice of truth, wanting to silence and wanting to censure those who serve the Lord. But when you look in verse 19 of our passage, here is the overruling power and the overruling hand of the Lord. But the angel of the Lord by night opened the prison doors and brought them forth. The Lord releases them from the prison. He discharges them from the prison and he charges them to preach. He miraculously delivered them. And in verse 20, he says, Go, stand and speak in the temple to the people all the words of this life. The Lord gives them here a very clear commission. He says, Go. Where, where were they to go? The Lord says, to the temple. And to whom were they to go? The Lord says, to the people. To the people. 
And how were they to to spread the word? Well, the Lord says, stand and speak. Go stand and speak in the temple to all the people. And what were they to say? Well, all the words of this life, the Christian life, the way of the gospel, all the words. And so they were given this clear commission from the Lord, and they went forth to fulfill that commission that the Lord had given. They were obedient, even though it meant open defiance of the Jewish council. They went early the next morning, and they preached the word at the temple. Whenever the authorities then uh, came to get them from the prison cell and they weren't there the next morning, they're found there in the temple. The result is that they are rearrested and they're brought again uh, before the council. And that gives Peter and the others this great opportunity of setting forth the gospel by way of witness for the Lord. And that's what happens there in these verses from verse 29 through to verse 32, the verses that we want to take by way of a text this morning. Peter is giving the defense, defends himself, confounds the enemy, he exalts the Lord Jesus Christ. There is that uncompromising yet that graceful stand by the apostles here. And Peter unflinchingly declares the truth of the gospel. And so what we're seeing in these verses is the example of the early church to the issues of their day, to the challenges that they faced in their day. Here was their response. As I read over this particular chapter during the past week, I felt that their response was a great example to us. The issues, the challenges that we would face today, we have an example here set before us. A few points that I would want to outline here by way of the example of the early church. The first one is the boldness of the early church. And you look at verse 29. Then Peter and the other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than men. We ought to obey God rather than men. And here is one of those situations where being faithful to the Lord put the church into conflict with the rulers and with the earthly authorities. There was, if you like, a conflict of authorities. One authority is saying to do one thing, and another authority is saying to do another For example, that verse 20 that we have just drawn to your attention a moment ago, they were given that clear commission and they were told there to speak, speak, and speak all the words of this life. That was the message from heaven. That was the authority from heaven. But if you glance in the previous chapter, the chapter 4 of the book of Acts and the verse 18 It says, And they called them and commanded them not to speak at all, nor teach in the name of Jesus. And so the earthly authority was saying, You're not to speak. You're not to speak in the name of Jesus. 
And the commission, the command from heaven was, go and speak all the words. You can see the conflict that there is there. It's a conflict of authorities. The Christian, along with all men, we are called upon to obey the earthly authorities. It is our Christian duty to obey the civil magistrates, but when there comes that time where they come into conflict, then there's a higher authority than the earthly and the civil power. There's the authority of Almighty God. The highest authority of all is God. Therefore, when those civil laws come into conflict with God's law, Peter gives us a very clear and unequivocal answer, and he sets the principle before God's people, and he says, we ought to obey God rather than men. That word ought there. Some may try to argue, well, there's an alternative there. If we ought to obey God, they would maybe put it in a weak form and say, we ought to, but we don't have to. But the original word here is a very strong word that would be better understood must whereby there's an obligation and there's a necessity placed upon God's people that we must obey God rather than men. Then you can see as well that word obey. We ought to obey God. There are a number of different words in the original that are translated in our Bible, obey. You could look down this chapter to the verse 36, for example, and you would see there the word obeyed towards the end of that verse, as many as obeyed him. And that would be a weaker form of the word obey. It's to submit to persuasion. It is to believe. But the word that's in our text of Scripture in verse 29 is the strongest word for obedience. And it's to obey by way of a higher power, to obey a ruler, to submit to authority. And Peter is therefore saying, we must submit to the authority of Almighty God. And God's word must become the final authority. In all matters of faith and practice, there, there's no option here. There's no getting out of the obligation. It's like the Apostle Paul who said, Necessity is laid upon me to preach. So you can see the example of boldness here. There are many issues. There are many challenges that face the church of Jesus Christ today. And we have no desire to defy or to disobey the civil powers, the earthly authority. Romans chapter 13 would teach us that we are to be in subjection to the earthly powers. In Romans 13 and the verse 1, let every soul be subject unto the higher powers. For there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. 
That's a reference to the civil magistrate, to the earthly government, and the Christian, with all others, is called upon to be in submission to the powers that be. Romans 13 would also outline to us the purpose of governments and the responsibility of earthly powers. That would be outlined to us in verses 3 and 4 of Romans 13. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to the evil. Wilt thou then not be afraid of the power? Do that which is good, and thou shalt have praise of the same. For he is the minister of God to thee for good. But if thou do that which is evil, be afraid, for he beareth not the sword in vain, for he is the minister of God, a revenger to execute wrath upon him that doeth evil. And so the responsibility that is placed upon the earthly rulers is to restrain evil and to punish evil, and to be a terror to the evildoer. The problem that we have today is that legislation is being introduced across this United Kingdom that is in conflict with God's law. We can't listen to the news without these issues being bombarded to us. The issue of this transgenderism, the same-sex relationships, the issue of abortion, and you have the exclusion zones that are being put into place and exclusion zones for protest, for prayer, for preaching, and those exclusion zones that could be extended further and further the criminalizing of the open-air witness, the conversion therapy that they're seeking to legislate for, and those who are pushing for this legislation, they want to include the criminalizing of prayer. That which we think in our hearts and that which we would want to pray before God, they're wanting to legislate and rule against it. The silencing, the censuring of God's people. Living in the last days when perilous times shall come. God's people, they need to have that boldness, that courage to hold to the principle that we ought to obey God rather than men. By way of necessity, by way of obligation, we must obey God rather than men. And so if we're looking to the early church for that example, we can see firstly the example of their boldness. But secondly, I want you to notice the beliefs of the early church. Because again, in these verses that we're considering here, you can see in verses 30 and 31 that it outlines the beliefs of the early church. Verse 30, the God of our fathers, 
raised up Jesus whom ye slew and hanged on a tree. Him hath God exalted with his right hand to be a prince and a saviour for to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And in those two verses you could have that summary, that outline of what the early church believed. That's what we believe. You see their boldness Their boldness came from their beliefs. What they held by way of conviction within their heart gave them the courage to obey God rather than men. Those deeply held and sincerely held beliefs, those treasured truths that are taught to us in the Word of God, We need to often go over those great truths. We were speaking last Lord's Day morning about the remembrance of that truth and the repetition of that truth and how in these days more than ever we need to go over the old truths of the gospel. You look at these verses. First truth here is the person of God. The God The God, the definite article, the God. In other words, there's only one God. The only true and living God, the God of our fathers. The one who is the creator of heaven and earth. The one whom their forefathers had spoken of and told them of. The one whom their forefathers had proved, the God of our fathers. Reference to Jehovah covenant-keeping God, the one true God. Not only the person of the Lord here, but the crucifixion of the Lord. Verse 30, you see those words, whom ye slew and hanged on a tree. And there you come to the very heart and the core and the center of the gospel. It's the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's the work of the cross. The blessed Son of God being nailed to the accursed tree. The early church held to that with great conviction. The resurrection of the Lord. Again, you can see it there in verse 30. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus. Oh, the one that they took and laid their cruel hands upon and they kneeled him to that accursed tree and the Lord Jesus Christ who shed his life's blood and he laid down his life unto death. But thank God he rose victoriously from the grave. Fundamental truth of the gospel. The risen Savior. Jesus is raised from the dead. You look there in verse 31, you have the exaltation of the Lord. Him hath God exalted with his right hand to be a prince and a saviour. Do you see these fundamental truths, these beliefs that the New Testament church held dearly? That's the message. That's what we believe concerning Christ. Risen, exalted, glorified Savior. The end of verse 31, it speaks about the salvation of the Lord. There it says, for to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. 
sin. And all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But if we repent of that sin, the Lord has promised to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us, to cleanse us in his precious blood from all unrighteousness. That's what the early church held to. That's what we hold to. The message is the same. Arisen, ascended, exalted, and glorified Christ. Therefore, we can preach the message of salvation. The Lord is able to give repentance and forgiveness of sins. That was the message in the days of the apostles, the days of the early church, and that's the message today. The issues they faced, the challenges they faced, drawn a parallel to the issues and the challenges that we would face today. The answer is the same. Preach the word. Preach Jesus Christ and him crucified. Preach a risen Savior. Preach a Savior who is exalted to the right hand of God who's able to save to the uttermost all them that come unto God through him. That was the answer in Peter's day. That's the answer today. You know, the danger is we would let the world and the devil set the agenda. And in all of the issues that they raise, they could have us running round in circles, running down blind alleys, running into cul-de-sacs, running down various rabbit holes. The answer for the issues and the challenges today is to preach Christ and him crucified. That's the example of the early church. The boldness of the early church, the beliefs of the early church. But then notice in verse 32, the burden of the early church. And we are his witnesses of these things. And so is also the Holy Ghost, whom God hath given to them that obey him. And here you have those who become witnesses. And the apostles there and the early church, they had that burden that they were going to be witnesses for the Lord. What is a witness? A witness well, in the courtroom setting, the first thing a witness will be called upon to do is tell the truth. Tell the truth. If you're ever called to be a witness, that's the first thing that you'll be asked to do. Tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. Then give the evidence. The evidence by way of supporting your testimony. Produce the proof there when you're called to give evidence. Be a witness, a faithful witness. That carries over into the spiritual realm. We're going to be his witnesses. We're going to be witnesses for the Lord Jesus Christ. We tell the truth, the truth of the gospel. We want to bring forth uh, the proof of the gospel and we, we have the word of God and we have there as well the testimony of the Holy Spirit. 
The Holy Spirit that is promised to those who are the Lord's witnesses. Do you remember earlier in the book of the Acts, the Lord had told them that they they would be witnesses. Acts 1 and the verse 8, the key verse for the whole of the book of Acts. But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me. That's the example of the early church. To have that burden to be a witness for the Lord. And as we seek to fulfill that charge and that great commission that is given to us, that we would know the enabling power of God the Holy Spirit. In the dark and difficult days in which we live, that the Lord would fulfill this promise and give to his witnesses the power of his Spirit. We know in church history there were those who were witnesses even on to death. They were martyrs, witnesses for truth. The apostle Peter, who was the speaker here, he was one of them. History tells us that the apostle Peter, he was martyred for the cause of Christ. So he became that faithful witness. He fulfilled that word. We in our day, we don't know what the Lord has before us, but all that we would seek to be faithful to the Lord, that we must obey God rather than men and trust the Lord for the future, that he will fulfill his promise, grant to us the power of his Spirit, that we would see the saints following the preaching of his word to the confounding of the enemy to the building up of the church of Jesus Christ. I trust that the example of the early church will be an encouragement to us in these days. May the Lord bless his word to each of our hearts. We're going to.